0: Um, uh, we, we, we're in a, a, sh- a short series at the moment. Um, there we are. It all adds up. Um, interestingly, it's, 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 it's about the one thing that we all struggle the most with. It's called money. You either got too much, or you never have enough, or you're really struggling. One of those three. And all of those places are challenging places. When it comes to money. And that's a little bit of what I want to talk about. But I want to talk about this from a different angle. And I, I, I want to say, it, put it to you like this. In the kingdom, there is a different economy to the culture in which we live. When it comes to money. I want to start off by saying that the kingdom of God is different when it comes to money. The challenge is that often we struggle with that. I struggle with that. And I know you struggle with that. So in this series and in the talk that I want to do this morning, I want to talk to you about a very interesting phenomenon that everybody can identify with. And, and it's the way in which a whole group of churches started to exhibit unbelievable levels of generosity. And, and what's interesting about that is it went way beyond what you would have ever expected of them. Unusual levels of generosity, which went way beyond what you would have ever expected of these churches. These are the kinds of people that we get worried about, that we get nervous when we're around them, because it seems as though they're being a bit reckless and irresponsible with their money. These are the kind of people when they, when they start becoming generous, you say, How are you going to pay for your, the rest of the month? How, how are you going to put food on the table? Well, what are you going to do about this need? And what are you going to do about that? These are the kinds of people that, that I don't know if, you, if you've ever been with them. They're the kind of people that make you feel a little bit nervous or maybe a bit they're being irresponsible. But in 2 Corinthians, Paul speaks about people like this. And, and, he, and he says they're not being reckless. He says they're not being irresponsible. But they are demonstrating an evidence of God's grace that comes that causes people to be phenomenally generous. There was a shift that had taken place in these churches. And the shift was, was such where, where, where people were, um, where they were deciding to give Despite the poverty they were living in. Their whole approach to money and to giving... And by the way, let me just put it out here up front. I'm not appealing for money. I'm wanting to talk to you about the economy of the kingdom this morning. But here was... Here was a group of churches, they kept putting God first. They said, Lord, we're going to do what you say. They wanted to be a blessing to the people around about them. People who were less fortunate than themselves. The fact that they had their own hardships and were needy themselves was not holding them back. I don't know if you are familiar with that kind of grace and generosity. It is where there is a liberty and a freedom that's not related to how much you've got. That's what he's talking about. Nobody's trying to manipulate these believers. Nobody's trying to twist their arm. If you pray, if you give this amount of money, God will answer that prayer. If you want to be healed, if you want to do that, we'll just give a bit of money here and you'll see what happens. And, and, And in fact, what made their generosity so compelling and so appealing was this. It was a privilege to do what they were doing. They didn't see, wow, I'm, I'm doing Lord, you need to know I'm making, I'm, I'm, I'm really making such a sacrifice. They were saying, No, we want to do it. Please let us do it. It's a pleasure for us to be able to do that. Now, Paul, Paul's highlighting what's happening in what is called the Macedonian churches. Now, how many of you have read Philippians in your Bible? Right. How many of you have read Thessalonians in your Bible? Those are the churches he's talking about when we talk about the Macedonian churches. And, and, and the Macedonian churches and what was happening in the Macedonian churches has had such a big impact on his life that, that, that he wants to use it as an illustration, as an example. And so let's read it together and you'll find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And the first verse is perhaps... The most important of it all. He said, now brothers, he is, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, but he's writing about what's happened in the Macedonian churches. Now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. Guys, this is about the, a grace to be generous. That's what he's talking about says, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, I need to stop here because most of us haven't got a clue of what's happening yet. In those days, in, those, in, the, in the area of Macedonia, what had happened is the Romans had ruled in as an oppressive regime. And they were ruling over the people in those areas. Now, one of the ways in which people were making money in those days were there were gold and silver mines in that area. But because Rome wanted all of the money, they annexed, they took over the mines. They started taxing people massively. Food started to become expensive, like it's becoming expensive today. And so what happened to people who generally were managing quite well? Suddenly they ended up in what's called abject poverty. They were extremely poor. They were battling to live every month. That's what's being spoken about. And this has put, this has put a trial on them. And some of you know what it means to go through a trial of not having money. That's what he's talking about when he, when he speaks about the fact there was extreme poverty. These were not guys that had a little bit of money that they saved up, they were giving. These were people who'd reached the bottom when it comes to money and finances. And he goes on, he says, I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own. In other words, nobody tried to manipulate them, twist their arm, convince them. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. So Paul was taking up an offering for a very needy church in Jerusalem. He'd invited churches to contribute towards that. And so he says, this is where he saw their generosity. They did not do as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. And so we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to to completion this act of grace on your part. So what Paul is saying, I want to tell you about what happened in the Macedonian churches. The Corinthian church was far more wealthy than the Macedonians. But he said, I also want you to participate in what is taking place over here. Then he goes on to say, just as you excel in everything, and remember the Corinthians were were known for their many spiritual gifts in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. The same word that's used for the poverty of the Macedonians is used for the poverty of Jesus. Saying like, they had reached the depths of knowing what it is to be poor. Jesus, when he sacrificed himself, gave everything in a sense that we could say Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. Now, When we talk about Christians being generous with their money, there's something I want you to know. It's got nothing to do with how much they give. You see, we always think of generosity as how much? Well, he gave or she gave 2,000 rand. Wow, that must, that's incredible, incredibly generous. The other person gave 50 rand. Well, they're not quite as generous. We compare. Paul is not talking about generosity. When, when he talks about generosity, he's not talking about how much they give. What he's talking about is this, what their walk with God is like. He's describing people's walk with the Lord. What he's describing is people's attitude to money. What he's describing is people's concern for those who are needy around them. What he's describing is a refusal to be caught up with a secular approach to money. That's what he's talking about. And I want us to become clear, because I can see what happens, and I know what happens whenever we preach on money, I watch you. All your heads go down and your eyes closed. Because you think when the pastor is going to preach on money, he's going to make an appeal. I'm not talking about money for that reason. I want you to see what God was doing in people's hearts. And when we talk about generosity, we're not talking about the how much. We're talking about what's happening in people's hearts. How has money affected them? How has materialism affected them? How has poverty affected them? And So when Paul talks about being generous, these are the kinds of things he's talking about. He says in verse 3, he said, I testify they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they pleaded with us, look at that attitude, for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And when it comes to money, we've got to, guys, we've got to keep reminding ourselves, That the economy of the kingdom is different to the economy of our culture. The Macedonian church shows us what happens when we are free from a secular or worldly approach to money. They show us what happens when money no longer has power over us. How many of you believe money can have power over us? Okay. You see, maybe I can put it to you like this. Christianity does not include God. Christianity revolves around God. Does it make sense to you? It's not, I'm, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus, therefore God, you can have a part in my life. No, 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 no. Christianity is this. God is central to every part of my life, and I revolve everything I do around Him. That's the difference. Paul reminds the Colossians, and and I want you, if you are making notes, to write this down. Colossians chapter 1, 13 and 14, if we can put it there. Look at what Jesus did for us. He rescued us. He rescued us from what's called the dominion of darkness. That's the control of the secular system of this world. We've been rescued from that. Friends, if you're a believer, you're no longer subject to the secular systems of this world. Now, the Bible's got a whole lot to say about the culture. Do you understand what I mean when I talk about the culture of the kingdom? You all good with that? The culture of the kingdom and money. And I want to point out a few of those things to you because I think they'll be helpful when we look at what was happening in the Macedonian church. The first one I want to say, and that you're not going to see the points there are bullet points. You're going to see the scriptures that relate to it. But the first one is that followers of Jesus... Never allow money to have power over them. Never allow money to have power over them. Jesus, when he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he makes that very clear in Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do not. Don't allow Money to have power on you, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then he goes on in verse 24 and he says this. No man or woman can serve two masters. Who are the two masters? Money and God. He said it's actually impossible to do both. So so all I need to say to you this morning, every one of us all the time needs to ask ourselves this question. Who's in charge? Remember, we're talking about poor people here. We're not talking about the wealthy in the Macedonian church because I believe it is possible for poverty to control us as much as materialism and affluence and greed can control us. Money can become quite an idol in our lives without us even realizing it. Another uh, another aspect of the kingdom and the culture of the kingdom and money is that people in the kingdom recognize God is their provider. How many of you really believe God's your provider? Some of you do. Some of you are still working through it. Let me just say this morning, that is not just a simple statement we need to make. It's what we need to pray through and apply when things are tough. There is a place where we've got to go to God. There is a place we need to stand on That There's a place we need to work, that, work it through. And so that's why Jesus goes on and said, so do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink. I've never even been that in such a, a predicament and I know that I've worried about that. But don't worry. He says the pagans... That's unbelievers run after those things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Friends, our God knows what we need. Another characteristic of the kingdom is that people in the kingdom are alert to the way in which God wants them to use their money. Verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 9. Each person should give what he or she has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves the cheerful giver. (laughs) You know what Paul is saying over here? Here's his principle. You decide what you're going to do with your money, because one day you're going to have to answer to God for what you do with it. It's very simple. So I'm going to twist your arm because you're not, a, you're not answerable to me. But one day each one of us must stand before the Lord and, and, uh, and God's going to say, and so, and so, and so. In the kingdom, people consider the needs of others. And this is what I wrote originally and then I changed it. People consider the needs of others as something important. I want to change that. In the kingdom... People see the needs of others as their responsibility. There's something very different to important and a responsibility. The the believer sees themselves having a responsibility. You see, one of the core values of Christianity is love. You all happy with that? You all agree with that? Okay. So, what's interesting about love is the Bible makes a huge issue of trying to get it away from love being a feeling to love being an action. So, so, so what John says in his letter, he says, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, that's like I feel sorry for them. How can the love of God be in him? But he doesn't stop there. He says, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. See, it's good for you to feel sorry. It's good for you to to identify, to have compassion. But he said if you stop there, it's not enough. It's got to be translated into what we're doing. And the last thing, there's a lot of things I can touch on when it comes to the culture of the kingdom and money, but here's the last one, and this is a fun one for you. People in the kingdom have done away with percentage giving. You see, we've been taught most of our lives, if you tithe, then you've given God what you are supposed to. May I say to you, that's absolute nonsense. And, and and, And Let me explain what I mean. First of all, everything we have belongs to Him. So I don't know where the tithing, but how do you tithe what already belongs to God? And secondly, here's the problem I've had, and I was taught to tithe. So I used to, like every month, put my tithe in. I put it in first, like we were told to do. You know what happens when you do that? You say to yourself, well, I've done my bit. I don't need to worry anymore. You see, that's the problem. Well, I've given to God, so I don't need to listen to any appeals. Don't worry about the needy. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about the next thing, because I've given. So why worry? But, but you see, in the kingdom, people don't apply the principle of percentage giving. What they, the principle they apply is generosity led by the Spirit as God wants us to. But then Paul makes another interesting observation, which I think is very helpful, been very helpful to me, about the generosity of the Macedonian Church. He says they gave themselves to God first. God first. They did not do as we expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord. You see, their generosity was the result of putting God first. What's the trap of our culture and our generation? Me first. Me first. So in the West, it's individualism. It's me, John first. In the East and in other cultures, it's our culture first. It's our family first. It's our race first. It's our this first. People are doing it all the time. And you'll notice in the Bible, it's always others first. So what Paul is saying over here about the Macedonians, they transitioned into a place where they're not saying, me first. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And you know what I've noticed over and over again: when people put God first, it impacts their generosity. Always. I mean, I've 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 had the privilege, and it's been a real privilege, of being uh, in the pastoral ministry for for many years now, and I've seen this over and over and over again. I've I've we've had the privilege of of having people in the church who who are replacing their motor vehicle, and that, that instead of trading the old, old one in, they come to you and say, Pastor, is there somebody in the church who needs transport? Because I want to bless them and I want to meet a need over there. And they come to us because they don't want the person to know who's giving it. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. And they come, and then the, you, they give you this vehicle, and you have a look at it, and it's got rust in it, and it's the end, you start the engine, and it's running on three cylinders. It's not so great. And then you, you go to somebody else, and the, there's a panel beater in the church, and you say to them, you know what? Somebody's given this vehicle, but it's got rust in it. And you say, don't worry, I'll fix it for free. And then you go to a mechanic and say, well, you know, somebody's don't worry, I'll sort the engine out. And you go, and you, you take this, and Terry and I had this, this uh, experience in, in the church that we were in previously where we were given this vehicle and somebody fixed up all the rust and got it running nicely and we took it to a family in the church. There was a lady who used to come to the church had this husband wanted nothing to do with it. Guess where that husband was the very next Sunday? He started worshipping, started coming to church because he saw the goodness of God. I've seen that. I've seen people put God first, and I, I got a bit rebuked about this when, uh, when I spoke about it last week, because I said an elderly woman by the, of 70 years old, and they said to me, John, that is not old. Okay, it's always your reference point that counts. But a, a lady, and this is a true story, and it happened to me. I believe it or not, used to be a youth pastor of the church about five years ago, or so I was a youth pastor. And, and a lady in our church in Johannesburg phoned me, and she was about 70, or thereabouts, and she said, John, I want you to come and tell me the vision that you have for the youth work of the church. So I thought, that's a v- rather an unusual request. So I went to see her, spent an hour, and I told her about the vision for the church and for the youth ministry. She said, how much is it going to cost? I said, I haven't got a clue. I've never worked it out. She said, well, go home and work it out and phone me and let me know. Which I did. She said to me, that money will all be in the bank at the end of the month. I want young people to know Jesus. That's not the end of the story. The end of the story is through her generosity, we saw kids, many young people coming to Christ because she was willing to invest third story, because I want to talk about what it means when you put God first in generosity and looks different in different places. When we started out, when I started out, I didn't go straight into ministry in the church like I am now, but Terry and I both traveled around on on a Christian music and drama team. So we would travel the length and breadth of the country, sometimes going up to Zim, sometimes in Namibia and so onwards. But one of the things we were doing, and for those who are not South Africans, it was in the bad old days of apartheid. And what we would do as a team, we would go into townships. And when we were ministering with churches in townships, we'd live there with the people. And I remember the one day, so you would always be hosted by people in the church. And we went, we were, we were taken to our hosts. We, you spread out, obviously, over different homes. And myself and, and a friend, were, we were going to live with this, this family in the township. And when we arrived there, they showed us into their only bedroom in their house and said, you staying here. Yeah, but said, "Well, where, isn't this your bedroom? Yeah, no, it's our bedroom. But we want you guys to have it. And then what they didn't know, but I knew they spent almost their whole month's income buying groceries so that we could eat nicely. Friends, that's generosity. That's what happens when people put God first, when the Holy Spirit is in control. And you know, there are a lot of different views about whether we can model our church today and what the early church was like. Do you remember the early church? I think it's the next scripture. Chris, if you can move, pop up the next scripture. No, it's the one after that, I think. Yeah. I don't go back. The early church says there were no needs among them. Now, I don't know if that's a realistic picture for the church today, but imagine being part of a church like that. I think it must have been lacquer. It must have been fantastic being part of a church like that. Last thing that I want to say for this morning your giving and my giving, our giving to God's work to the needs of people around about us, is always a decision you and I must take before the Lord. You see, Paul is against trying to manipulate people for money. Can I say that this morning? I don't think it's a great thing for us as leaders in the church to have to beg people for money. Because I don't believe it's a biblical model. I think people who are kingdom-minded give because they want to see the gospel advance. That's why they're giving. People giving because they care about the needs of other people. People give because they're part of another kingdom. They're not part of the kingdom of this world anymore. And the Macedonian churches, Paul's using them as an illustration. He's saying, guys, I want to tell you about what God did amongst the Macedonians and how they responded to that. You Corinthians are much more wealthy, but you still need to do your bit as well. And in 2 Corinthians 8, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. He says, that's a very interesting word, and if you go on to the next verse, at the present time your plenty will supply what they need so that, they inter, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. Do you know how he uses the word equality twice in two verses? Now he's not speaking of communism or socialism yet. He's talking about the way that people use their money tends to bring a fairness in the kingdom. You see, we're all meant to help where we can. We all have a part to play. We all need to give according to how we are able. But here's the kicker. It's not how much, but your attitude to giving that counts. Because God loves that. Eh? See, it works like this. One day when I stand before the Lord, He's going to not going to take out the book, they say the books will be open. Say, so, wow, well, John, tchew, you gave 500 bucks here. Man, I'm really impressed with it. Wow, you were really great. This time you gave, you gave 3,000 rand. Lord, John, I'm so impressed with you. Now God's going to say this, you gave 3,000 rand, but your heart was terrible. You did it out of guilt. You didn't do it out of any form of generosity. You weren't doing it to me. You were doing it maybe a little bit like Ananias and Sapphira to try and impress. Remember what God thought about the giving, by the way. He wasn't too pleased with it. There's a sense in what, what Paul is saying over here when it comes to giving, and to the use of our finances. Rather, don't give if you're going to do it with a bad heart. You see, Christianity is always a heart first thing. It's always about a heart first thing. It's not about how much and about money. Now, you you may be wanting to be you may want to ask yourselves the question this morning. So, what's why is this such an important deal? Why is this such an important thing? My sense is this. When God's grace starts to be poured out like this, it affects His church, it affects the ministry of His church, and it affects what the church is doing. And when I was preparing this, I had a sense that God is is wanting there to be a generosity in His church because of what he wants to do with the church. This, this, this is not about us, you and me. It's about his kingdom. It's about what he wants to do and how he's going to do that. There are people I know, even some of you here this morning, who are really trying to step out and be a blessing in your community in the people that you're trying to reach. And sometimes that becomes really difficult because of resources. But when there is a generosity like this, something starts to happen in the kingdom. You see, fundamentally, my understanding is this. And I was, it's something that I'm just processing at the moment, so I, but I'm going to put it out there and I want to share it with you. God's primary command to His church is not to come. It's to go. Does that make sense to you? God, we, I think in, certainly in the West and certainly in the churches I'm familiar with, a lot of focus is on us coming. I'll bring somebody to church. I'm going to church. We're going to come together. And, and I, that's still important. But you know that God's heart for His church is actually to go. And I do believe, and I know that we've been talking quite a lot of, over here at Musenberg about the whole thing of what is, what's the true paradigm of the church? What should the church really be like? What, what, how does God want us to be as the church? May I say to you, primarily it's about going, not about coming. We spend most of our time talking about coming. We, in our hearts, think about coming to church. We think about what we're going to do when we come to church. And I do think God is calling the church to realign itself with going. We need to be much more structured to be able to go than to come. You see, coming to a meeting like this on Sunday is not God's goal for the church. Going out to the world on Monday is. That's His goal. So when we come together, this is an equipping time. This is the time when we want to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. This is the time we want to encourage one another to love and good deeds. This is the time we want to build each other up in the faith, because you need lots of faith when you're out there. It's rough and tough out there. Did you know what? That's what God has wired the church for. He's actually equipped us for out there. So it's just something I've just started processing. I'm praying about the church and what God is saying to us as a church. And you want to know why that's, this message is important this morning? Because I think fundamentally if we're going to go out there, it does touch our resources and our finances and how we are using them. So, I'm finished. Well, did a long sermon this morning. I want to ask you if you'd be willing to say, Lord, will you just pour out your grace today on us? So I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm asking, will you be willing to say, God, the grace to be generous? Maybe some of you are walking in that already. But you're saying, God, I want that same grace for me because I want the church to be what you want it to be. So I'm going to pray. If you'd like to stand for that prayer, you're welcome to do that. No pressure on anybody. But I do have a sense of of God wanting to do something amongst us. So, entirely up to you. So God, we want to get hold of your heart this morning as we pray. Father, if we're going to just pray about money and stuff, I think we're going to miss the boat. When your heart is about people, it's about the gospel, it's about people's lives being enriched, it's about them experiencing your goodness, it's about them knowing the true blessing of the Lord, the spiritual blessing of the Lord. And all the way I understand it is that you don't have a plan B. You've just got us that you've set apart. And you've called us. And you've said, go. And as you go. and God, I want to pray that if this is a season where you are speaking to us as a church, where you're speaking into our lives about this issue of rich generosity. Then Lord, I want to ask you this morning. Will you release the same grace over us that you released amongst the Macedonians? God, I believe that when your grace comes like that, something is released. Something happens. We are different. We respond differently. We do things differently. We can't always reason out what we're doing because there is a grace to be different. And so, Father, I pray over us this morning. May there be a grace. May there be a grace. Lord, I want to break off any poverty spirit that's got hold of people where they're living in abject fear. We just break that in Jesus' name this morning. We break to, Lord, the the power of materialism And the desire just for more and more, we break that in Jesus' name. And we say, Lord, let your kingdom come here. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, may we as your church be like the Macedonians because of grace. In Jesus' name, amen.